Welcome to Life Unfiltered, a podcast by Life's Looking Good. I'm your host, Adel Beanie. Welcome to my first ever solo podcast. I realize that I've spent so much time in a way hiding behind the camera because all of my podcasts have been about other people and there's a safety net there, but I really wanted to connect with you guys, my viewers, my community. You had some questions. So today, much to my producers forcing me and to my chagrin, I'm doing a solo podcast that's going to cover all of your questions. And if we, I'm going to try and get to everything today and hopefully we do. If not, we'll do a part two. Question number one was about how I grew up. And this is a tricky one because that's a huge question. I'm from a small town in New Jersey called Morristown, a very small Orthodox Chabad Jewish community. I'm from a family of five. I'm the second to youngest. I would say that my family could be described as loud, rambunctious, opinionated, witty, think like me times five. So I developed this you know, personality trying to stand out in a, a pretty hectic household. My mom was very hardworking and was a businesswoman and a creative, which is interesting because I ended up sort of in a similar role. We're all pretty close. We're kind of dispersed now. I've got some family in New Jersey, family in Israel, and family in upstate New York, and I'm in Los Angeles. Who are you and how did this all begin? I think I just answered the who am I in the previous question. I've been everywhere. I started in New Jersey. I've been to many different schools spanning from Seattle, Washington, Palo Alto, California. I was in Brooklyn, New York, and Seattle. Did I say that? I did not go to college. I went straight to work. Started in actually title insurance of all things, which is like kind of odd because I literally can't do any math and I'm not good with like numbers and official information and that's what's required. But nevertheless, I moved from there into real estate, from there into makeup artistry. I got married along the way, divorced along the way. Some of you guys know that. Actually, nobody asked about my divorces, so I guess I don't have to talk about that, which is like a nice break. How did it all begin? I was, I ended up in the pharmaceutical beauty industry in plastic surgery, working first with non-invasive. So that means that it's the beauty space, but without cutting. So no sur anything non-surgical that improves the way we look. Started with body and fat removal. Some of you guys are familiar with cool sculpting. And then I moved into the face. That's why I do a lot with beauty and beauty consulting, and in that space, because I spent a lot of time learning facial anatomy, understanding what is beauty, symmetry, and so aesthetics is in my blood, from makeup artistry to the beauty industry. And yes, I've segued now into more of a creative space, but I definitely feel like all of, all of it falls under the umbrella of aesthetics. I guess that is how I would answer how I ended up in this space. When I originally started my business, it was floral and event design. I actually did these flowers, true story. I learned and I was passionate about creating a mood, creating an environment, telling a story for people in their events. I think that's where my passion for telling a story really began, was in the event space. 
that's like a tangible, physical way of telling a story. And now I've segued that into telling brand stories digitally and from a production standpoint with my team. But I would say that's really where it started and where my passion. So what led me to that is probably my floral and events. The Life's Looking Good is, is rather recent. It started when the beginning of COVID did. I was happy in my job. It was cush. I was doing well. My job was really great. But when COVID hit, my company got sold and I had no choice. So I could have gone back into, I was offered my same position with a new company, but I had this deep sense of knowing that it was time to leave that chapter behind and take on the next chapter, which was going to be entrepreneurship and ultimately starting Life's Looking Good and Life's Looking Good Creative. So while I've been in aesthetics for a long time, Life's Looking Good is actually relatively new, but took on pretty fast, if I say so myself. <sighs> okay. I got a lot of questions about religion, leaving religion, my thoughts about religion and Judaism. I want to be really careful and thoughtful about what I say next, because I think this is super important. One, I think it's so interesting. Every time I open up the floor for you guys to ask me questions, I want to say overwhelmingly, the questions that come in are about religion, leaving religion, the choice to leave religion and what that path looked like, which can only lead me to believe that Maybe many of you are either struggling with your belief or your faith or considering options for yourself or even just curious about what it looks like for people that make the decision to leave. So I'm going to start with, I never, I never really left Chabad, which is the movement I come from, because I feel that the principles of the Chabad movement are with me today. That the core values, the core values that I was raised with, and while I'm not practicing from a day-to-day -day perspective, in a day-to-day -day way, I very much still love the principles and the values of Chabad that I was raised with, and I appreciate them, and I have a lot of love for it, but yeah, ultimately, that life was just, I felt very early on that that life was just not going to be for me. I'm close with my family. I was never disowned. I have a good relationship with my parents. I have a great relationship with my siblings. I think what happens with religion and families is not dissimilar to other things where if you stand firmly in your belief and you show up with confidence in your decision without guilt and without shame and without hiding or cowering or making excuses or changing the way you look, when you, if you stand proudly in what you believe for, for your life, at least it's been my experience that your family sort of has no choice but to adopt that. I know not everybody's as lucky, and some families and some sects are different. I'm lucky that my family was understanding and loving no matter what. What I will say is that if you're somebody who is struggling with where you are and or considering a change, I want you to know a couple things. One, you don't have to leave your faith 
or leave the community to have freedoms. There are so many ways to, to have freedom in your life and cultivate a life that feels rich and, and, and free and fully self-expressed, even while staying in the community. And two, if you really feel that your pathway forward is not, is to leave your community and to leave being religious, like you get one life. You get, we only have one chance at this and living for other people is just unsustainable. It was unsustainable for me and ultimately that was just what it came to. But I just find it so interesting that you guys have so many questions about that. My relationship with God, interesting question. I'm deeply spiritual. I think there's a higher power. I don't know that that higher power necessarily has strong opinions about our day-to-day -day life or how we wash our hands or how we dress necessarily, um, but that rather to be a contributing member of society, to lead with kindness, to be a good role model, to be generous. So my relationship with God is just to, that I try and be a good person as much as I can. What do I value most about Judaism? I want to say the warmth, the love, and the community, that wherever you go, wherever I go on the planet, I know that I will always have this family of people that are like my brothers and sisters. And that's one of the really, really beautiful things I think about being Jewish. And one of the reasons that I'm very happy and proud that I was born Jewish. Okay, we can now close the chapter on all religious talk. Because while it's very important, um, you know, it's, it's not really what I like to lead with. Confidence in starting a new venture. I got two questions about confidence. One was how you build confidence, and the other was confidence in starting a new venture. Confidence is an interesting thing in that it's kind of like fake news. I don't know that everybody's confident in everything, right? We all are confident, more confident in some things. We all struggle in other things. There's not really a formula that I can tell you and snap my fingers, and this is what you need to do to be confident. I'll tell you some things that I think worked for me a, like the importance of faking it till you make it. I want to say that almost every time I take on a new project, I'm petrified. Every time I say yes to something new that I haven't done before, I'm really nervous. I maybe appear very confident here. That's just also because I've been on camera now consistently. And so I've developed like the ability and the skill to be on camera. But even right before we started filming this, and even now I'm actually sweating because confidence is, you just have to keep doing it. You just have to move toward what scares you. You have to keep practicing and you just pretend. And in the pretending and doing it often enough, you just start to build up, I wanna say like stats, like look at the last time you were scared and did something, how did that go? Look at the last time you were scared about something, how did that go? After a while of consistently doing something, even if you're scared, showing up anyway, that builds confidence. But you're never gonna just be fully confident in everything. There's always gonna be elements to your life that feel scary. And I say, do it anyway. Celebrating abundance and not being embarrassed or shying away. This is actually, oddly enough, the question that, got, that took me from I had a live with Mimi, not Dick, Mimi Hecht. She asked me this question. And I wanna say overnight from that interview, I went from 
like 3,500 followers to over 10K. So this was definitely a trigger with you guys. I think we're programmed and especially, I, I'm gonna go ahead and say in the Jewish community, there is this like real stigma and there's this real feeling around not having others know like what you have or how well you're doing or um, success is like poo-pooed and hush. Things are well, but I almost feel like it's, it's a culture of not really celebrating what we have, not really celebrating success. And I, I, I've come from, so I grew up with not a lot. I had everything I need, but we certainly were not wealthy. And I've been in, in stages of my life where I was a single mom and had almost nothing. Two stages of my life now where things are much um, more comfortable and I'm in a more secure position. I think not celebrating success and not honoring what you have and being proud of what you have and what you've achieved and what you, you know, the, the beautiful blessings in your life is almost like when somebody pays you a compliment and you're like, no, no, no. And there's like this maturity that comes with when somebody pays you a compliment saying like, yeah, you know what? That's true. Like, thank you. So, you know, not, you don't say that's true, but just thank you so much. Like being gracious. I look at acknowledging success or acknowledging physical things or blessings in my life as this maturity of accepting a compliment with grace. I also want to say that life is fluid and there will be times in your life potentially where you have less and there'll be times where you have more. And it's really just about holding yourself, you know, with, with grace and humility th through all of it. But I don't think it's a shameful or embarrassing thing to acknowledge like where you, where you are in life and what you have. And you don't have to gloat. You don't have to rub it in people's faces, but I think there's elegant ways to sort of accept the blessings and acknowledge them even publicly. And maybe that's something that comes with time and age and maturity, but that's my feelings on abundance. It's also really for me about, like if the universe is giving you a gift, I think part of accepting that gift is not diminishing what you have or pretending that things aren't a certain way, but rather like the universe has provided you something and the way to honor what you're getting is to just stand proudly in that so that you can continue to like be a vessel for more blessings. Long distance parenting. Long distance parenting is no different to regular parenting in that it requires the same skill level, which is being aware, being humble, it's always been an important thing for me to realize that my children are not my subordinates, that they're humans with like real complex emotions, feelings, sensitivities, dreams, thoughts, just like me. I, I like to view my children as like just little version, little humans are just like a little shorter than me. I try and give them a lot of respect. I try and give them a lot of freedom in self-expression. Um, I try and give them a long leash because that's something that I needed. I, I'm super anti, and I don't usually like call out specific behaviors, but I'm really anti-helicopter parenting and hovering. I think it's very hard for children or any, any young adults to flourish while they're being suffocated. Everybody needs space. So I would say my, if, if you're asking me a parenting tip, Long distance, short distance, it's really like that space, giving, giving everybody breathing room to like have their own individual feelings, thoughts, personalities without 
stifling. And long distance, I covered this in a video that I did with my son about after my second divorce, he went to go live with his dad because it was just a better, healthier environment for him. It, it was an extremely hard decision. I can only speak about it now without completely falling apart because I've spoken about it so many times. It never really does get easier, but it really comes down to, again, this, this ability to see your children as just a small adults that have needs. And so being able to take yourself out of the equation as a mom who just wants to do everything and be there, knowing that perhaps my son's needs were to be in a more stable environment because I was coming out of a second divorce. I think you have to take yourself out of the equation and put your own feelings second sometimes to your kids' needs, which I think some parents struggle with. But that's how I do the long distance parenting. And hopefully he's gonna come back for college because right now that's the plan. So we're, we're gonna hold him to it. My routine. I don't really have a set routine. I think I was much more rigid before COVID started. And then after COVID, I realized that routine was just not gonna happen. My child was home. I had tutors and people and children home. And so what I generally try to do is make sure I get my body in motion at least four or five times a week. I try and eat as balanced as I can, but I'm sure a lot of you guys know I'm a candy addict. Um, I don't have a very specific routine. I try and stay moving. I try and stay as productive as I can. I try and make sure that I see my friends at the weekends and like refill my love tank and that I'm not just work, 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 work. Um, I leave a lot of time for self-care, an inordinate amount of time. Some might even say, you know, a little indulgent, but it's what I need, so I honor that. But there's not really a strict routine. I just try and go with what I'm feeling at the time and uh, be productive. That's a tricky one. Like, I guess some people really do have like heavy routines. I just was never one of those people. Did I always wanna do what I'm doing now? No. I actually wanted to be a motivational speaker. I guess in some ways now, that's a lot of like what I try and do, but through content is like help motiv motivate people or inspire them. But my dream when I was young was to be a motivational speaker, which I think would probably surprise people. And it's such a random thing like motivational speaker, but yet that's what I wanted to do. I didn't always know that I was a creative. I sort of figured that out later in life that I was a creative. So. In my, in my mid thirties, in the last couple years, I figured out that I wanted to be in the creative space that creating was going to be like a fundamental for my life. It was a non-negotiable for me. So I didn't always know, but I did know that I was gonna do something in a public space, in a public forum. And so it's interesting because I did end up doing that. And here we are. This was a good one. How do I stay inspired? I don't think anybody stays inspired. I think inspiration comes and goes. One of the best ways to make sure that you stay inspired is to give yourself downtime and rest. For any creative, it's extremely important to recharge your batteries. Nobody could be creative all the time. It's, it's a physical impossibility and it's just not how our brains are wired. So I definitely do take breaks. 
I'll do a, a big push of content and or producing, um, and then I'll take a pause. While I'm pausing, I'm actually not, I'm actively trying not to think about the next stuff, which is hard for me because I wanna think about the next project or the next thing or the next idea, but I actively try not to think about anything creative, be very still, rest, recharge, and then just trust that when my battery kicks in again and like my tank gets filled, that the ideas will just flow. I just trust in that process. And so far, it's not led me astray. And when you're not feeling inspired, when you're feeling really stuck, just be stuck. You don't have to unstuck. Trying to get unstuck is like trying to find inspiration all the time. It doesn't happen. You have to like let yourself have the ebbs and flows of feeling really fueled and charged and having tons of ideas. When you're in a flow where you have tons of ideas, write them down. Put it, jot it somewhere, have a file, have a notebook, leave a notebook by your bed. A lot of my ideas come at night. Write it down. And when you're stuck, just stop. Don't try and be creative. Don't try and come up with ideas. Don't try and just let it be. Take some you time, have fun, go out with friends, like forget the whole thing and come back to it. And sometimes that could be days and sometimes that could be weeks. But you, that's there's no other way. You have to just let it be. So I guess the answer is I don't always stay inspired. It ebbs and flows just like everything else in life. And I try and be cool about it when I'm not feeling particularly inspired, which by the way, I'm not always cool about it because sometimes I do panic. So if that's you, I see you. Navigating divorce. Ugh. These questions are so big. They're so large. <laughs> How do you encapsulate navigating divorce in a short podcast? On this new dating show that I'm doing, I'm asking people to talk about like why love. I, the, one of the questions that I'm asking the candidates is like, why love now? What do you think has been holding you back from trying to find love? And then I say that the answer about that question, about why you you've been unlucky in love is gonna be inward. Like it's not gonna be an external thing. It's gonna be like, why you? Why have you been holding yourself back? I think the same thing about navigating divorce, which is that you really can't rely on the other person to do the right thing. You really can't rely on the other person to create peace. There, you might never get the response that you want from your ex. You may never get the behavior that you want from your ex. It's all, all of the control and around the tumult, the pain, the healing, the conflict resolution, the scheduling, all of that is gonna be here. So it's either gonna be, nav like, uh, it's either gonna be learning tools, either on your own or with a professional about how to handle disappointment or when things don't go your way or reacting to somebody who could possibly be vindictive or even abusive because they're not gonna change. Chances are the reason you divorce them is the reason that, the, you know, the things you're upset about in divorce are usually things that upset about you in the marriage, which is why you're divorced. So it's not changing. So it's just going to be a looking inward. What can I do? What are some tools that I could use when this person's being disrespectful, mean, is not doing what I like? Things are not going my way. It, it starts with you. I know it's frustrating. We all really want to blame and, um, you know, but I, I just, there's no other way to control it except for learning how to control your own emotions around it. I try and remember what it is I loved about the person when I met them. For everybody, 
no matter where you are in your divorce process, there was a time in your life when you loved that person. You fell in love with them. You had romance. If you didn't, you wouldn't have married them unless it was an arranged marriage, in which case I don't have any advice for you. But for the most part, most of us fell in love. I try and remember what it was that I loved about the person and what made them special and what drew me to them. And I have children with them. And so my children are often, you know, reflected in that. And so those are some of the things that I use in like my tool um, arsenal when I'm struggling around conflict or conflict resolution in my divorce. Also, my heart goes out to anyone who's going through a divorce. It's painful and, and tough. And so maybe I'll do some more divorce content in the future because it seems like that's a real hot button. Dating after divorce. Dating after divorce is like dating in regardless of whether you're divorced. Dating is dating, right? I think a big mistake that divorced people make is they start to either trash their ex. People do this outside of divorce as well. Um, they, they bring up too much heaviness or trauma or negativity in the early parts of dating. I'd like to say that these people don't know you or love you yet. They have no reason. Like, you know that you're lovable or hopefully you do. But these people you're meeting have no idea that you're lovable yet. So it's kind of like your job to show them that. And so trashing an ex, trashing your ex-husband, bringing a lot of heaviness about your life or, or what you're struggling with, leave that for the later part of dating. Lead with what you love, what you're passionate about, what you're into, what your hobbies are, what you, if you have children, what you love about your children, something you're pursuing, you know, talk about your job. I, I don't, you don't have to be a Pollyanna, you know, like, la, 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 but I just think put your best foot forward, same as you would in an interview. It's no different. And it's not that person's responsibility to fix you or make you better or make your life better. They're not your other half. You're a whole and they're a whole and hopefully like you're together and you make two. But this, I think a lot of divorced people and, and even not divorced they have this real notion that somebody else is going to fix this. Once they meet this person, all of this emptiness is going to be filled. You really have to. It's like your duty and your obligation to yourself to create a big life. Big. And whatever that means for you. So whether it's pursuing something you're, you're really passionate about or going back to school or making sure you have like a lot of laughter or friendship or activities that fuel you. And then you bring all of that to another person so that your life is really full and really complete when you're meeting the next person. And that's not to say that everything's perfect. I don't mean that your life has to be perfect, but that you're not looking to fix those broken parts in you for another person. That's my advice for dating. Actually, we did. We got to the end of the questions that I felt were meaningful and should be shared. Some of them were great, but I just didn't feel were like podcast Questions? I don't know how to wind this down. I usually thank my guest. I guess we're gonna have to wind this down. I'm gonna figure it out right now on the spot. Thank you guys so much for your questions. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for being a part of this community. Um, I'm flattered and humbled that you're even interested in hearing about my life. I hope that some of sharing some of the experiences that I've been through helps you or helps bring value into your life. And if you appreciate this, maybe we'll do more solo podcasts in the future, but thank you guys so much.
I should have judged my hair in the beginning and not the end. <laughs>